Godzilla, king of the monsters, whose death ray blasts the city from the face of the earth before your very eyes. Godzilla, alive, stalking across the world, crushing all before him. Is Godzilla fantasy or a prophecy of doom? For the answer, see Godzilla, king of the monsters. A tale of horror more fantastic than any ever written by Jules Verne. More terrifying than any ever shown on the screen. Godzilla, king of the monsters. Incredible titan of terror. A story to stun the mind as a gargantuan creature of the sea surges up on a tidal wave of destruction to wreak vengeance on the earth. Godzilla, king of the monsters. Fantastic beyond comprehension. Dripping beyond compare. Astounding beyond belief. The mightiest monster of all. Godzilla, King of the Monsters! Hello everybody, welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spataro, and I am joined by my returning guests, the Giaconetti brothers, Luke and Jason. Welcome aboard, guys. Come Thank you for having us. For a second I thought I was uh, alone, I didn't hear a response. <laughs> You're both being polite, waiting for the other one to talk, I guess. Yeah. Well, a couple, a couple Italian boys from New York, you know. Yeah. Getting slapped in the back of the head for interrupting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> by, yeah, by nuns and by uh... <laughs> by nuns, parents, uncles, aunts, the whole crew, people on the street. We know how it is. But... Yeah. <laughs> so the last time I had you guys on, you suffered through my choice of Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. <laughs> but this time around, we're doing your choice. Although you, I yep. think you you originally wanted uh, Gojira, not Godzilla. Well, you know what's funny is I, I actually, I, I, I was thinking, well, I said, well, we could do either one. I said, uh, you know, it maybe because doing Earth Destruction Directive, when I did uh, Gojira, I did both of them. I did Gojira and Godzilla King of the Monsters. I said, you know what, is it, you know, is it Jaws seems to focus more on American films. Let's do Godzilla King of the Monsters, which will be much more familiar to most American viewers than, you know, ca- in casual Godzilla fans than the more hardcore uh, Daikaiju Otaku. So yes, 1956 Godzilla, King of the Monsters, uh, the American localization of the original Gojira uh, here in the states is what we're taking a look at tonight. Yeah, and, and just by way of background, if people listening are not familiar with it, in 1954 Gojira came out in Japan, a, a Toho production, and was purchased, I believe, for twenty-five thousand dollars. The uh, the rights to it in America. And they filmed a, f- a fair amount of f- footage, and they edited it quite liberally to turn it from Gojira to Godzilla King of Monsters, adding in Raymond Burr. And I don't know if they're all just similar-looking actors to the ones that are in the original movie, or if they got some of the original actors as well. No, it's it's all yeah, it's all body doubles that are shot from behind. And uh, um, Terry O. Morris, who was kind of a workman. Uh, director in Hollywood did a lot of uh, B pictures and television and commercials. He worked with his photographer Guy Rowe, and Rowe actually spent a fairly good amount of time matching it up so that the costumes and the hairstyles and everything would would for the most part be very very close to what was in the original footage, and then would shoot um, you know the stand-ins from behind interacting with Raymond Burr, and then um, you know paying careful attention to the axis of action would then cut between the newly shot American footage and the original uh, Ishiro Honda shot uh, footage from the Japanese. And as I understand it, the re-edited American version did kind of do away with some of the political subtext and uh, some more of the subtleties of the movie. Uh, But 
I enjoy the American version, I have to say. Mm-hmm. And and I was happy to go with that one. Not that I dislike the Japanese version. I can't say I've seen the Japanese version nearly as much. Oh, yeah. Well, for a long time, you couldn't get it here in the States. It wasn't until, um, let's see, I guess the mid-2000s when uh, when Sony and classics media, their, their classics media outfit started putting out a lot of the Godzilla films on DVD. Uh, that they started, in, first off, started including even Japanese cuts of films and Japanese language tracks with English subtitles, but then started releasing fil- f- films that were uh, different, that were edited. Uh, because once you get past, um, once you get into like 1965 and forward, the Godzilla films, with the exception of Godzilla 1985, are for the most part just the international cuts, maybe a few seconds here and there for content when with some of the seventies movies. But they're not wholesale Americanizations like we got in the in the fifties and early sixties. So to include the Japanese versions of those are fairly straightforward. With some of the uh, earlier films there where we had this sort of uh, you know money spent on the localization, uh, you know, the Japanese versions just weren't seen. I mean outside of you know, uh, some Japanese neighborhoods in San Francisco and then parts of Hawaii, Gojira just was not seen outside of film festivals. And I remember it was, I want to say 2000, 2004, there was an, uh, a limited engagement of Gojira in, um, it, was, it was in some smaller art house theaters across the U.S. And actually the one weekend it was playing in Atlanta, which is the closest venue to me in South Carolina, I was moving from Clemson to Aiken and thus didn't get to go see it. And I've, I've kicked myself <laughs> numerous times for that. But, uh, but uh, you know, my, my masochism notwithstanding, the, you know, so it wasn't until I think was, I want to say it was Sony Classics Media was the first one to release Gojira on DVD here in the States. And now it's much easier to find and see Gojira. But for a long time, if you wanted to see the original Godzilla, this was the only one you had. And so I'm in the same boat. I, I mean, obviously I love the Japanese one, but I'm a huge fan of this film because I've watched this dozens and dozens of times since I was four years old. This is, in fact, the first Godzilla film I ever saw was Godzilla King of the Monsters. And as as it was for me as well. My, uh, my original viewing of this was more or less on, uh, you know, the uh, ABC 430 movie, and they would show, you know, with commercials, it would be an hour and a half long. So this is an 80-minute movie without commercials. So to probably... To fit it in an hour and a half, they probably cut it down to about 70 minutes, maybe even mm-hmm. 65. So, you know, but that was my primary exposure to it for years and years before I finally saw an unedited version. Uh, how about, you know, where, where was your first uh, exposure to this? Oh, well, obviously, my brother and I, um, our dad, as anybody who's ever heard us talk, is a huge King Kong fan. So, um you know, uh, Godzilla and King Kong go, are, are so closely related, um, you know, obviously uh, also looking at things like Beast and 20,000 Fathoms and them and all those other movies that came out right before Godzilla that had, you know, direct influences on them wanting to produce their own giant movie. But King Kong um, was such a big influence there. In fact, um, Luke Luke knows the names, the, the, the special effects artist. Eji um, Subaraya. And Super I wanted to do this all in stop motion instead of man in suit and stuff like that. So um, it, it just was one of those things that it was, you know, as for us growing up, having seen King Kong probably be, probably one of the first movies we ever saw, period. Um, it was kind of natural for us to be exposed to Godzilla, King of the Monsters, 
uh, on one of those tapes Dad had, you know, of just you know movies together. And right. Well, yeah, a, and that tape, that tape had Godzilla, King of the Monsters, Ghidorah, the three-headed monster, Rodan, and Monster Zero in in that order. And I think I think I watched that tape until it literally fell apart. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think is. I mean, so so obviously Godzilla being the first one we were exposed to, um, and again, it should be. I mean, I think. Um, to be really honest with you, I mean, except, I mean, obviously, I mean, King Kong doesn't fit into this, but if you're talking just uh, Kiaiju movies, is you need to be seeing Godzilla first. There's a reason that it's the, you know, king of the mod, like he is, this is what it is. Without Godzilla, there is nothing else after that, because that allowed them, um, I mean, Toho sunk a lot of stuff into this movie, and it was a hit. If it flopped, um, you know, we're talking about a, a lot of different things, that not, you know, different things either happening or not happening. You know, in the years after, um, I mean, Godzilla's. Uh, I look at it this way, and Luke has talked about this um, before. Obviously, um, when we, and we talked, we touched on this when we talked about uh, um, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, uh, Dracula, Frankenstein. Like those are like, you know, those are, you know, those are. You say Dracula, to somebody they know who Dracula is. They know who Frankenstein. You know, you say a werewolf. They know what it is. You say Godzilla. Everyone knows who Godzilla is. Whoever, whatever version they might picture in their head, whatever, you know, whether it's like an amalgam of different things, whether they're thinking the American Godzilla, whether they're thinking the ones from the, like, versus the smog monster or whatever, they, you know who Godzilla is. Godzilla kind of transcends that. Um, and it's, 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 you know, having seen this being the first one we, we, we saw, and then obviously we were able then to see the ones that came after. You know, we talk about, like, you know, uh, Ghidra, the three-headed monster, Rodan, which is a classic uh, you know, just classic film, not just even a giant monster movie, but a great movie. Um, you know, and all the other ones that came after, you need to see this first kind of thing. Uh, it's, I know my daughter, who is a huge monster fan of stuff, she's seen Godzilla. Um, and when she watches Godzilla, because she, she I, don't, I don't think she saw this one. I think she wound up seeing some of like the, the newer Godzilla stuff first. When she watches Godzilla, she doesn't, I'm gonna say she doesn't. She's not as happy as when she's watching the other ones because Godzilla is not. Uh, how to say this? Godzilla is certainly not like the late, the the later ones. You know, you know what I'm saying? Um, what, what, well, yeah. I mean, this, uh, well, you know, the the Godzilla went through such a a character arc in the show of films, which which is funny show since the show of films are for the most part unrelated to each other. Uh, yes, you know each one kind of kind of exists in its own little space, but the uh, and 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 again just um, just to, to give the terminology, the original series which runs from uh, Gojira in 1954 through Terror of Mechagodzilla in 1975, those are called the Showa films, named after Emperor Showa, who was the emperor of Japan at that time. In 1984, Toho restarted the series with the film that is alternately called Return of Godzilla, Godzilla 84 was Americanized as Godzilla 1985. That series ran through uh, 1995 with Godzilla vs. Destoroya. That is called the Heisei series. Or he, uh, he, 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 I can never... That one's hard to Heisei series, and it's named after Emperor Heisei. And then the series went on a hiatus for the Amerigoji, for Godzilla 98, and came back in 1999 with Godzilla Millennium, released here in the States as Godzilla 2000. And that series ran through, let's see, 2004 with uh, Godzilla Final Wars, and that is called the Millennium series. So, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, you know what's always funny is that this, this is something that comes up on Two True Freaks a lot. We'll get discussions about 
pre-crisis, post-crisis, new 52, reboot, this is my Superman, this is not my Superman, you know, however you want to look at it. And that, that kind of stuff, I think, because I'm such a big Godzilla fan, has never bothered me. Because Godzilla gets rebooted every time he showed up, you know, in the Showa series. In the Heisei films, they have pretty tight continuity, but then the Millennium films, again, had no continuity with the exception of two films that were direct sequels. So, I, you know, it's always been a thing to me is that Godzilla, you know, they talk about certain characters being iconic and existing as, a, you know, a, a series of character traits that can be interpreted in different ways. Godzilla is in many ways that kind of the poster child for that, you know, uh -huh. big lizard, you know, created by atomic radiation, you know, uh, breathes radiation, you know, hangs out in Japan a lot. You know, they, these are kind of the it's like horses and gunfights in Westerns. Those are the generic elements of a Godzilla film, but, you know, the, you can interpret him in a multitude of different ways. And, and Jay, you're, you're right. I mean, it's depending on where, where you come into the Godzilla series will influence how you interpret the character. Watching, in this case, Godzilla King of the Monsters first always kind of, in, you know, informed the character to me because it was always the idea that, yes, he might be a hero later on. You know, Mothra convinces him and Rodan to fight King Ghidorah. You know, and then after that, he's always, if not on the side of the good guys, he's always at least helping out. You know, sometimes he's not, <laughs> sometimes he's kind of the lesser of two evils. But, yes, yeah, but it's yeah. true. You know, when Godzilla fights Hedra, you know, he's not particularly here because he wants to help humanity. He's here because he wants to, he's, he's a superhero. He fights the bad guys, right? He fights Megalon because Megalon's a bad guy. And what do you do with a bad guy? You have a tag team wrestling match. You know, that's what you do. <laughs> So, you know, it's, but, but in my mind, it's always like, yeah, okay, he's, he's going to help out and fight the other monsters, but he's still the king of the monsters. He pushed humanity to the brink, and I think humanity still knows that, that maybe we need to stay on the, on the big guy's good side so that he doesn't, you know, turn our cities into a sea of fire again. So. Now, now, if you remember again, Luke... that, that's the great thing. There's, there's, so many, there's so many different versions of Godzilla out there that there's, there's one that appeals to everybody. In, in the most recent American version, we did a review program on that, and I, I wouldn't say I took heat for it, because I think everybody was pretty respectful, but I think I was the one person who was not all that high on the movie, and mm -hmm. that was more or less based on the fact that I wanted more Godzilla in the movie, and I felt right. like they used him sparingly to its detriment. In this version of it, because I was keeping that in mind as I was doing my rewatch for the show... In this version of the movie, I think they used him sparingly to a very positive effect. It made, in this movie, to me, it made him, because, and I think it's because he was the negative force of nature. He was not on the side of the angels. Uh, it made him scarier. It made him more, seem more just uh, like a force of nature, effectively, mm -hmm. in, in the movie. And I, I thought it was used to very good effect in this movie. Yeah. yeah. And, well, you know what? Go ahead, Jack. I'm saying the one thing that you get um, here that you would not get in later films, um, even when when let's say Godzilla is not necessarily even like uh, uh, King Kong, you know, you know, Godzilla versus King Kong and things like that, like the you know those movies that came after where he's maybe fighting something but he's not really a good guy kind of per se. Like here, there is no doubt that he is uh, that Godzilla is coming. And there's not, there's no, there's no redemption from this. This is, it's, it's whatever sins are being paid, it's, it's going to happen. This is, this, I always think of Godzilla King of the Monsters as like Old Testament Godzilla. 
Like mm-hmm. it is, you know, like it's not, you know, hey, we're here. We love you. And we're here to save you. It's he will smite you because of whatever, you know, kind of thing. And it's and and one of the things in Paul, you mentioned this, is that a lot of the anti-American sentiment that because remember the. It's 1954. It's not that long ago, and they're still putting their, you know, Japan was still, you know, that there's still those ghosts of World War II there. Um, uh, This is, you know, it's just, just, they're looking at, this is a a nation that has seen true destruction occurring, and to have Godzilla come and be the embodiment of that destruction, it's so, I mean, just, it's it's no wonder that this movie it, it resonated with people so much and it really reaches them on that level. Um, and this is, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to describe that, you know, I mean, I, I, obviously, you know, it's, 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 you can see that when you see the picture, but by having him, when, but every time Godzilla comes ashore or he attacks whatever, there is no cutesy pie stuff occurring. There is, he's here. It's just mayhem, destruction. People are going to die. There is no, there's no silver lining here. And yeah. and throughout the movie, there's that debate. You know, should he be studied? Should he be destroyed? And it's like, well, you know, we have to stop this. If we don't stop this, we will not. There will, Japan will no longer exist. You yeah. know, because he will just keep pushing. Well, and and that's the thing also is that in even honestly, even in Gojira, the there's there's not as much. What, what we would consider, air quotes up to the mic, anti-American sentiment, as I think some American press would like us to think. Okay, really, yeah. the film is a reflection about nuclear power, the genie being let out of the bottle. And that's like you talked about, you know, Dr. Yamane spends the entire film lamenting that Godzilla should be studied. That's one of the few, one of the few lines of his that's actually dubbed into English into this line, as he says it to Emiko. He's sitting in the dark in his study, and he's a he should be studied. And, you know, it's the same idea. Nuclear power was something that was not developed to be weaponized, but was very quickly weaponized. And, you know, so that that and, and it's the it's it's that kind that dichotomy. And the end of the end of Godzilla King of the Monsters ends with um, Steve Martin, you know, uh, Raymond Burr. And just as an aside, when we were kids, our mom, <laughs> she watched Perry Mason on WTBS every afternoon with Raymond Burr. Five. 12.05 to 1.05 Eastern on WTBS. And so we watched a lot of Perry Mason. And I love Godzilla and then Godzilla 1985. So to me, Raymond Burr was like this huge star when I was a kid. Yes. You know? Yeah. Like, Raymond Burr was, was a like, big star to us. Like, yeah. It was like, it was like, it was like, you know, uh, it was like Charlton Heston, Harrison Ford, Raymond Burr. You know, that was, you know? <laughs> well, but, yeah, uh, dude, he was every day we saw him. He had to be a, he had to be a big star. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. and, 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 and the biggest and, villain of all time was Hamilton Berger. Yeah. <laughs> that poor dude never won a case. I don't. Yeah. And fact, apparently, he won every case that he wasn't against Perry Mason on. Yeah. Yeah. Because so. <laughs> he he's the best. He was the best uh, prosecutor. Yeah. Period. And Perry Mason was just that good. And so. isn't it true? And isn't it true? <laughs> but uh, actually, but you know what's funny? You know, we, we talk about sometimes that that film can bring people closer together. Believe it or not, that was one of the one of the very few things as I got older that my mother and I had in common was we both liked Raymond Burr for different reasons. And so I could always watch Perry Mason with my mom and mom watched plenty of Godzilla movies with me. That's for sure. So, you know, that, that was just one of those one of those odd things. But uh, but you know, it, but it's, it's very much about the idea of that science 
can be this a salvation, but if but but that it it holds great peril with it. But the end of this, the end of the American version ends with after Sarazawa's spoilers on, Dr. Sarazawa commits suicide so that the oxygen destroyer the, will never be used again because this is a scientific development that he discovered quite by accident that has the potential to be more destructive than the atomic bomb. So Sarazawa burns his notes and takes the secret with him to the grave by uh, detonating the oxygen destroyer and then cutting his, his lifelines in, in Tokyo Harbor. And so Steve Martin is giving us the narration, and he says that the whole world could wake up and live again. And it's this optimistic idea that they've defeated Godzilla, and that even at the cost of this great man's life, that there's a tomorrow. In Gojira, it ends with Dr. Gamane saying that if we do not stop nuclear testing, another Godzilla is sure to come. Mm-hmm. So even then, it was it was like Jay, like you were saying, it's a pessimistic movie. Yeah. Uh, but more, I mean, more of the political stuff that was cut, and Honda never set out to make a political political movie. And, and what's interesting is that most genre fans know Ishiro Honda from one of two uh, tracks: either you know Ishiro Honda, king of of daikaiju films, or you know Ishiro Honda, the man that helped make Akira Kurosawa, because Honda was Kurosawa's assistant director. And as Kurosawa got older and his vision started to fade, Honda shot quite a lot of, uh, especially second unit action uh, sequences for Kurosawa's period films. So it's actually quite funny that that there's a whole uh, school of uh, film fans and film critics that only know Honda from his work with Kurosawa. But obviously Honda was a very uh, talented, successful man on his own. But Honda always said that he never set out to make a political film. He said that he could include politics, but ultimately the film had to be entertaining. And that was what his goal was. So the, the more po- overt political aspects that are cut deal more with Japanese society and culture. There's a scene on, uh, on the train after they announce that there's going to be mandatory curfews and shelters where uh, one guy, is, uh, he's, a, he's a, what we call a salary man. He's a suit and tie guy, you know, just works, works, all, uh, works his week at the, uh, at the office, and that's all he's ever going to accomplish, basically. And he bemoans, he goes, oh, not the shelters again. We just did this, you know, because, again, we're only eight years removed at that time, or, or nine years removed, excuse me, from the end of World War II. And then the other one, actually, the other one is, is really kind of upsetting, and it's, it's still in there, but it's not dubbed, so you can't tell. Uh, during Godzilla's wade through uh, Tokyo, we see the scene of the mother huddling with the young children, and the kids are all crying, and the mom is trying to comfort them. What she is saying in the Japanese is, it's okay, it's okay, we'll be with father soon. Oh, wow. And so from the age of the kids, the implication, obviously, is that he died during the war. So it, this was a way, you know, for, besides making, you know, uh, for, for a country that, that it, it was in a weird place, because there was... There was a lot of, obviously, anti-Western sentiment in Japan during the war, but after the war, especially given the way the war ended, there was a, I mean, being, patriotism in Japan was unheard of in this time. The idea of being proud of your country was seen as incredibly dangerous, almost seditious in certain circles. So this idea of, you know, uh, and, and I mean, you're also looking at, you know, the United States had established their military bases in Japan. The U.S. had helped write the new Japanese constitution that forbade them from having an army, only the self-defense force, you know, which, which is, I mean, that's, that, that's such a crucial aspect of Godzilla and Daikaiju film. It's still being used now in, here in 2016 in Shin Godzilla. It's a huge part of the story in Shin Godzilla, the, the idea that all they have is the self-defense force and what can the self-defense force legally be deployed to do. So you're at, you're at a country that, you know, was, was in a lot of ways very isolated and now has been opened up 
for good or ill to influences from the West. And, you know, part of that was was um, accepted very readily. This is a period where Japan's common culture moved from, you know, the agricultural villages to living in the cities. You know, we see uh, we see all the cars and everything. There was not, uh, you know, the, the type of heavy manufacturing that we associate with Japan uh, through the economic miracle before the war. The war helped start all of that. And then there was this appetite for modern things that came in. So, it, you know, the, the Godzilla series talks about a lot of things about Japanese culture, which I think, especially given the time period, being that this probably was the first Japanese film a lot of American viewers may have seen in 1956, to take out some of the more overt cultural aspects. Another example being Emiko and Ogata, um, excuse me, Emiko and Serizawa's arranged marriage, which, I mean, that's like fairy tale stuff. So, you yeah. know, if you don't know much about the way that uh, Eastern culture works, that's, you know, that that what they, they still do that in the 50s. I know it's, that would that would shock. That would be shocking. Yeah. So. so, yeah, it's it's just, just it, yeah, Luke's 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 on point that this this the those type of things, especially um, would resonate so differently with an American or uh, a non Japanese or anything to say that just just a Western culture, I should say, you know, yeah. not a non Japanese because. Um, while there um, arranged marriages, obviously, you know, that was not something that was so unheard of, um, you know, in, uh, the Pacific, you know, and stuff like that in, in those kind of countries. Um, but even, even in Europe and stuff, there were still places where that stuff all normally occurred, you know, kind of thing. It and, wasn't and, like it and, was. Yeah, and and Gojira was unheard of in Europe or South America until, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, Joseph Levine uh, helped do the, you know, the, the Americanization. And then Godzilla, King of the yeah. Monsters, was very easily dubbed into Spanish or localized into whatever language for South American and European consumption, where it also became a hit. So, yeah. you know, in, in a lot of ways, the film, the original film is so Japanese. I sound like a millennial. So Japanese. But, <laughs> you know, you, you almost have to simplify it a little bit just to kind of yeah. make it um, consumable to a mass audience, given the the time frame nowadays you know you can go to your local multiplex and go see shin godzilla with subtitles and you know what you're getting but i don't think that in in 1956 american audiences at a main mainstream level were were quite prepared for that and but godzilla I, was hugely popular this movie made a ton of money <laughs> that, that I, I think they did a very good job of americanizing the japanese film though by yeah. by putting raymond burr in there and having him narrate the film and having it's almost like it's it's almost part documentary, part travelogue, uh, and part like almost like there's a little bit of mystery to it because it opens up with him being taken to the hospital for the injuries he got uh, as a result of a Godzilla rampage. So now you're wondering, you know, what happened? How did this happen? And like I said, I think the monster was used to good effect because it takes a while before you see him. Mm-hmm. And when you do see them, I mean, obviously you have to allow for the special effects of the day. I mean, it's not what you can do now with CGI. You know, I, I assume it's just a guy in a Godzilla suit standing, you know, far enough away from the camera so that they can make it look like he's, you know, coming over the mountain and everything and or coming out of the water and, uh, you know, attacking these ships. But I think it was effectively done, especially, you know, considering the technology of the day. And, oh, yeah. and I think I think it was presented in a way, you know, quite possibly the Japanese version is, you know, the monster is us. Uh, you know, that it's the embodiment of, of America destroying their country. Uh, but as presented in the American version of it, it doesn't feel that way. Yeah. No, well, you and, definitely... And, 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 all I was going to say, it's the thing about 
the the effects is that you know Subaraya was kind of inventing this stuff on the fly. You know <laughs> the the idea of like he's, like Jay you said earlier they you know Subaraya was such an admirer of Willis O'Brien that he wanted to do it in stop motion and we do get one stop motion scene of Godzilla's tail that is animated in stop motion at one point. Uh, but the idea of doing the suitmation, like I said, they were, you know, Tsuburaya made an art out of this. You know, he essentially created tokusatsu on this film. And, you know, Haru Nakajima, who plays Godzilla, I mean, his, uh, you know, he, he doesn't get a chance much to emote as Godzilla as he would in a lot of the later Showa films, where he gets to, you know, uh, really get in on some body language and pantomime. But, you know, he's, he's working in 200 pounds of latex without hyperbole. Mm. Not even yeah. latex, basically rubber. Rubber, you know? yeah. That is that he can only work for a couple of minutes at a clip, and he lost something like twenty-five pounds while shooting this. You know, underneath yeah. sweating it out under the stage lights. There's a there, he tells a story. There, there's a great documentary called Men in Suits, and it's all about guys uh, that did monster suit acting both uh, in um, in the West and and in Japan. And he talks about a couple of times where he just collapsed. You know, there's there's outtakes of Godzilla just walking and going over because, you know, <laughs> he just kind of peaked. He just had he just, you know, so dehydrated he would just pass out. Um, so, you know, it's it's and, and I think in one sense, the black and white helps because that kind of helps with some of the compositions. Uh, this is the first time they're doing a lot of the the um, the, the, the multi-layer effects, you know, putting it onto a single frame. And so black and white kind of helps because then you don't have the color differences. Uh, uh, Dai would do this with their first Gamera film which was um, 1965, was Gamera the Invincible. They shot it in black and white just so they could try and get a handle to doing the tokusatsu-style effects. And, you know, it's the thing. I, the effects, for the most part, hold up. I mean, yeah, we, we know that they're model tanks and, and model ships, and we know it's Nakajima in, in the, the Godzilla suit. But part of it also, again, it is, is a cultural thing. God, Japanese films in general, and specifically fantasy, science fiction-type films, a lot of times... They, the, with the effects, even, even in the modern day, when you can get extremely realistic looking special effects for those types of films, a lot of times the goal is not so much to be 100% um, realistic as it is to create something that is striking, something that's kind of a beautiful image, you know? And I, wouldn't, I would argue that there's not a lot of beauty in this film, but there is a lot of striking imagery with Godzilla and the way that, uh, that Honda shoots it and that Honda and Subaraya work together to compose a lot of the effect shots so that it is a very striking film, even if, you know, especially looking at it now in 2016, we know it's not real. You know, we know how it's done. We, we, we peeked behind the curtain. And, you know, but by the same token, we can watch Godzilla 2014 or, or Shin Godzilla or, you know, whatever film you want to know, and we know how it's done. We're very intelligent viewers now. But it, it still is, it creates something that is beautiful and, and is a visually striking image. See, when I, when I watch a movie like this, I'm not necessarily looking at Godzilla and saying, I need for him to look realistic. What I want is for him to not look so cheesy that it takes me out of the movie. Mm -hmm. And in this particular version, they succeed in keeping me in the movie. It yep. never looks so bad that I start saying, oh, my God, this is just ridiculous. Uh, just to go with, you know, one of them. One of the things I actually get a kick out of when I watch King Kong versus Godzilla is, to some extent, how bad some of the special <laughs> effects and costuming is. And I get a kick out of that. You know, it's almost like the it's so bad it's funny. Uh, this doesn't well, have any yeah. of that. No. Well, King Kong versus Godzilla was shot kind of as a, uh, as a pseudo-comedy. 
it's a, I mean, it's essentially a wrestling match, you know, like yeah. I said about yeah. over Megalon. And it, it's funny because the, the Godzilla suit from 1962, what they call King Goji or Godzilla or G62, is beloved. Absolutely oh beloved. My God. Probably the yes. second most merchandised Godzilla look ever. But then on the flip side of that coin, oh my gosh, does King Kong 62 look ridiculous. He never looks well, good in that movie. Yeah. Not so, once. I mean, he's endearing, I mean, well, but he never looks good. <laughs> The problem is this. I think, and, and I think this is this is, and Luke Luke knows what I'm going to say here probably. The the King Kong uh, from uh, King Kong vs Godzilla. Um, besides the fact his arms change length in the movie, which is kind of crazy, because um, he has the long, really long arms at one point, and he has to have short arms to wrestle, and vice versa. The problem is is that um, he's certainly not like a great uh, interpretation of King Kong. And, but neither was King, years. but I'm saying, but, but neither was King Kong from King Kong Escapes. But what's the version that everyone loves? It's Mechanicon, right? Yeah. Because why? Because Mechanicon is the mechanical version of King Kong. That's just it. Always, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. It's that robotic thing that they get to. It's why yeah. Mechagodzilla is always the most beloved villain. Of, you know, whether you like other ones or not. But I mean. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, you know, right. it's, it's so, the role. Everybody loves the evil, the evil twin, you know. One of the things I wanted to say was this, was that, um, and I know Dad and I touched on this during our Them episode, and we touched on it clearly during the Beast and 20,000 Fathoms, was that, yes, King Kong, they, uh, you know, they wanted to make their own King Kong, which is really what they did. Godzilla is that kind of iconic. This movie is on that iconic level. Um, but when they looked at what they were able to accomplish, now, if you think about Them, and you think about Beast of 29 Fathoms, the effects in them, what do they do? They don't show you the ant until like 40 minutes into the movie. You show you what it did, you show what it did but they purposely hid the ant, the ants, until later in the movie, and they're full-size giant ants that they're actually working, they're mechanical ants they're working. It works very well. It builds a lot of tension and stuff in it. The, the Beast in 20,000 Fathoms, you see the beast, even if it's in a glimpse in the beginning when it breaks out, but that was all done with stop motion. Both of those techniques are completely different than what Subaraya had to do here with Godzilla. But what they all share in common, when you look at the ants in them, the, you know, we all kind of know what an ant looks like. When there's a giant one in your face, and like, you know, it, 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 you don't go, oh my God, it looks so fake. Because it's like, oh, this, you, the story has sucked you in so much. You are so engrossed in what they're doing and what's killing them and what could be doing this that the ant, when it hits you, you know, the first time my dad saw it in the theaters, he's like, it just shocks you in your seat. Like, oh, my God, this is great. And then when you see the beast and 20 out of fathoms, and again, whether people, you know, look at stop motion and like, oh, it looks so fake. Stop motion had that movement to it. That was just not, uh, it's not, I was saying it, was, it wasn't smooth, but it made it, it, I mean, it just, it doesn't move like something that's animated. You know what I'm saying? It had that different movement to it and the way Harryhausen was able to bring that to life. The suit here, and again, it, it was a lot, I mean, it was 200, over 200 pounds of rubber basically there. Because the suit was so hard to move in, you got the sense that it was this giant, massive uh, mm -hmm. a creature moving because he couldn't do a lot of stuff in the suit. And so when every time he like would turn or open his mouth, you were like, Oh, like every movement then had more purpose. And even though he, as Luke said, he couldn't emote the way he could later on 
in in the other suits when they became better and refined and stuff like that. I to me this feels more like you know an animal or a mm-hmm. force in nature, and it's just realistic, right? When when he when it turns when Godzilla's mouth turns and his mouth opens and then the spray comes out, which is you know turns into the atomic breath. That to me it's not. Everyone's like, oh, he breathes fire. Like he's not a freaking dragon. Like this right. isn't Jack the Giant Killer. You know what I'm saying? Like he's breathing radioactivity. When the when when everything melts, because that to me is the more more yeah. effective, I think, than a lot of the beam fights we got. Uh, you know, like like when who's shooting at who and whatever, you know, kind of thing. When he breathes the breath and it starts melting everything, and you mm-hmm. just get the sense of like, oh god, like it's not. It, if it, if it was fire, if he was just breathing fire on you, like all right, he's breathing fire. We've seen that, right? Or if if it was like electricity, like it was like King Ghidorah or whatever. But it's just that. His breath alone is just able to crumble this city and melt it. And yep. that's something that obviously the, the Japanese um, at that point, again, Luke said only nine years removed, right? So we're talking less than a decade or so removed from World War II. They saw that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, I mean, these are, I mean, it, the, 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 the horrors of war can never compare to what we put on a screen. All right. I mean, I think everyone can agree that the, 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 the atrocities and the horror that war brings forth, the reality of that, you can't you I mean you can do the best special effects in the world. But at the end of the day, the guy gets up, you know, everyone goes home. Um, but I think what happened what was what they were able to capture in those and not making it over the top and not doing too much. They captured some of that that was still inside them. And I, and I think it resonated with people. Remember, this was nominated for the Japanese uh, Academy Award for Best Picture, yep. and it lost to The Seven Samurai. I mm-hmm. mean, if you're going to lose to a movie, yeah, I'm right. losing to The Seven Samurai. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, there's no um, shame in losing to, to No, of to course not. <laughs> the well, Seven and, Samurai. And, oh, damn. We yeah, lost yeah. to one of the greatest movies of all time. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And, but, and, and, isn't it ironic? Know, it's Kurosawa's movie, right? It's I mean, Kurosawa, isn't that kind right. of neat? And yeah. Honda, yeah, Honda was the assistant director on, on The Seven Samurai. But the... Yeah. the uh, <laughs> Well, but you know, the, and the other thing that, that Gojira and Godzilla King of the Monsters does that is extremely rare, not just in the Godzilla series, but in Daikaiju as a genre, is, and, and I especially like this in the American version. This is one aspect I think the American version does, uh, does very well. And Paul, you mentioned this, that because it starts in media res. It starts at the beginning of the story, or excuse me, in the middle of the story. Yeah, right. And so the hospital scene with Steve Martin in the hospital is right at the beginning. And the hospital scene, where the, the, the term that Martin uses in his narration is that he's surrounded by human wreckage. And we've got the yeah. kids crying. You know, we've got the people laying there being comforted by that, that, you know, and they know that they're never leaving that little makeshift uh, hospital. We've got the doctors checking the kids with the Geiger counter, with it clicking, 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 clicking. And all the time, they said just the, the people moaning and the kids wailing in the background. That is, I mean, that, I mean... For, again, being released in, in 56, looking at some of the American films, and, and if you want to see American films from that era, just listen to my brother's podcast. You know, they do, ni- it's like the 1957 show sometimes. But, <laughs> but that, that opening, but opening it up as they did that. makes you sit there immediately and start saying, okay, what caused this human wreckage? What, what did right. this? What brought us to this point? It really just piques your curiosity right out, you know, right out of the opening gate. And, and Burr's narration, again, does very well because he does his whole, if you've heard the promo for my show, you've heard it. He talks about uh, a, a force that until a few days ago was, un, was beyond the scope of a man's imagination. 
you know, Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown, an yeah. unknown that still loomed and could strike again at any moment. So, so you know, it's, it, again, it, it's very, it is, a, it is a mystery. We don't, now, of course, the American ad campaign gave it all away, <laughs> but that's okay. You, you do with what you got to do for, to sell the movie. I understand that, but. No, but, yeah, but to, so, but, to but, be but fair, I, I even, even knowing, even, you know, being fully familiar with Godzilla, I think that curiosity is peaked anyway. I, yeah, I don't think I don't think spoilers would ruin it because you no. want to see it in action. You want to see the creature come right. out and do what it's doing. But l- let me let me hit on a little couple of the you know just the, the American version here, as opposed to its impact a little bit. The one thing that I found a little bothersome that you know kind of I rolled my eyes a little bit watching it again, just looking at it with a critical eye. Something that never bothered me in the past, but now I'm looking at it you know with the point of view of a critic a little bit was. I thought Steve Martin was given access to things he would never be given access to if this was reality. Absolutely. And that Absolutely. was that like it, like I said, it never bothered me in the past. But for some reason, no. when I was watching it a couple of weeks ago, I was like, "Come on, you wouldn't yeah. have him here. You'd be saying, get get out of here, American." <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's the power of the press, you know that. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, it, it's a good point. It, it's one of those. We, and that we do see that cliche elsewhere but you're absolutely right it's you know he, he, there's no reason he'd be allowed into the meetings at the diet especially since he doesn't speak japanese mm-hmm. yeah, that's know, which, the best which... what'd he say what he keeps turning <laughs> and asking what's he saying you know because yeah. well, all those the scenes, they, keep, they leave it all in japanese yeah. yeah well and then or or they either leave it in japanese or they'll leave it in japanese and then dub certain portions of it like we get uh, uh dr yamane speaks in japanese and then in english and obviously his voice is radically different you know <laughs> Between yeah. the two, uh, but I mean, you know, if, if you're gonna, I mean, to, it, it's funny because there's, you know, it, it's well, my Japanese is a little rusty, you know, and yes. uh, yeah, whereas by, uh, you know, by, by by the next film, would, they they would dub it completely, and then the film after that, they would not only dub it completely, they would chop out a good portion of it and insert a bunch of American footage into that. Uh, so you know, um, before they gave up that that approach altogether. So yeah, it's it's you know, it, it you're absolutely right. It's true. To me, it's not as bad as you get with some of the Gamera films where children are allowed access to high-level government and military <laughs> meetings. Or, or to submarines. Or... Other, other, than, <laughs> other than that factor, though, I, I, thought, I thought they wrote him into this script and they melded him into this story very well. Oh yeah, I I, I kind of you know I, I like that that he's there when these things are going on and that you know the attacks are happening and he's you know he's in the hut that's getting torn apart and. You know, that he gets injured in the attack that, and everything. I think it helps that there is a uh, like kind of secondary reporter character in the film, in the original film, that's cut completely from the American version. So there, there's a there's a spot for a reporter, you know. Yeah. So that yeah. That, so the the thing I love about some of the Americanization is, and and this is true in in Japan in the 50s and America. Everybody's smoking. You yeah. Know? Well, I think that was just reality the plane, back then. On the plane, lighting up the cigarette. I always love that. You know. But I think that was reality. I think everybody smoked oh, yeah. all the no, time. No, no, no. That, that, don't, please don't misunderstand. That's not a complaint. I love that. I love watching science fiction movies from the 50s where everybody but smokes. You know, I love not that. Not only do I they mean, smoke, but they smoke in situations where you, you should never be allowed to smoke because it's, you know, <laughs> a, 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 a clean environment or something. And, yeah. you know, it's, you might as well have the doctor uh, operating on you with a big ash hanging out of his mouth. <laughs> well, that's, that's like, what do you call it? That's Isn't that the, the old joke? Oh, it's great! In the future, we can smoke all our food, and they're like just constantly smoking. Yeah. Uh, what's that? Oh, I forgot what that's from, but it's just one of well, those one, jokes. The one, yeah, well, the one I always think of is from the movie "Thank You for Smoking." 
which is yeah. I, I really enjoy that film. But he, where he meets with the film producer and they're going to make a science fiction film that's going to include smoking. And he says, well, is that really smart to be smoking in an oxygen-rich environment? <laughs> he says, ah, it's, an, it's an easy fix. It's a science fiction movie. We'll just say, thank God we invented the whatever machine so we can smoke now. So. See, I always think of the movie Sleeper, the Woody Allen movie, which is supposed to be in the yeah. future. And, and everything they thought was bad for you is good for you and vice versa. And he's all upset. And the guy, he's, here, have a cigarette. It's tobacco. It's the best thing in the world for you. (laughs) One day people are telling you not to eat bacon. The next day they say you can't get enough bacon. What's the problem? I'm just, I'm waiting for them to tell me I can't get enough bacon. Well, you're telling me there's good cholesterol and bad cholesterol. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean to derail us. You're you're right. I mean, it's, you know, it's funny because that, that is a, a point that a lot of uh, a lot of folks mine for comedy, the idea of Raymond Burr being inserted in this film. Pinky and the Brain did a fantastic job. Oh, making fun God, they did. On their, yeah. their Alizilla segment, where every now and again it would just cut to Raymond Burr standing by himself and go, yes, I see. <laughs> and at the end, he, he, gets shot with a, he gets shot with an enlarging ray and he fights Godzilla. The fat guy in the suit is surprisingly agile, Brain. But, uh... see, see, Paul, here's what you're missing is, all those things that Luke just said, they are things that I think we have said thousands of times to each other out of context, and no one gets it except us, right? Because right. people, people are like, what are they talking about? Like some things we say, people are like, oh, okay. Like, like, when, like when we open something and it, you know, it goes, we go, Fisher, you know, because that's from, it's from the old Fisher uh, nut commercial and it's also from yeah. Misty, but, you know, kind of thing. But like, there's things like that, but but Luke just said the the large man in the suit surprisingly agile. Like that, I don't can't think of the hundreds of times I've said that or Luke said that, you know, and stuff. All right, yes, I yeah. see. Yes, I see. Was I think every day, constantly for a while. Yes, I and, see. Well, especially it, when we were when we were working at Burger King, I think we did that oh one my a lot. God. Yeah. Like, Luke, you work in drive through Yes, I see. <laughs> but uh, you know, but it's funny because, um, but doesn't that that, that I think that speaks to the, um, the scope of Godzilla, right? Where something as, as simple as like, you know, uh, you know, Raymond Burr being inserted in the movie there, you know, kind of thing that they were making, you know, at the time they were sewing it in and doing their thing that, uh, culturally you're able to reference that in other things that it's not like pink in the brain was made like two years later. It was made in the nineties, you know, kind of thing. So they were able to take those references. And even though let's say kids may not have understood a hundred percent, that it was a direct, you know, why they're making fun of this. They got that, okay, this is silly, you know, kind of thing. And it was put in there for the the, the, the older generation, the adults and stuff, but it allows it to kind of, you know, transcend. And isn't that, isn't that the whole idea of making, like, when, you know, I, I I truly never believe that when someone's making a classic, like, like making like one of those movies, you're like, oh my God, this is a classic film, that they necessarily know they're making a classic. I think they're trying to do the best they can and then yeah. there's things that have to occur, right? Like uh, Miriam C. Cooper, you know, he, he's making King Kong. Well, King Kong became the biggest hit of 1933. Like it blew away people, right? I don't think at the time he's like, you know what? I'm going to blow people away. And then like and in 70 years, people are going to be still talking about this or 80 years or whatever how long it's been, right? I don't know about the longevity <laughs> aspect of it, but I, I do disagree with you there because I think if you take the most mundane, boring movie ever – Probably when they were making it, the actors and the director and the writer thought they were making a classic. I think I think people always have aspirations to, f- towards greatness, 
And with the exception of, you know, like, say, Roger Corman or somebody like that, who knows? Yeah, I'm just throwing together, uh, you know, what I can on this budget. I think people think or, or at least aspire to make something that is going to transcend time and be a great thing. Oh, yeah, I agree. So, but I'm so saying, I, I but think it's... it's very possible that Miriam Cooper thought, I'm making a great movie here and this is going to be, you know, something. Like I said, I, I don't know if he had an idea of the, that, that the, the longevity factor would exist. But I think yeah. he, he probably knew, I'm making something here. I'm doing something that hasn't been done before. And, and it's well, going right, to be, right. you know, blow people away. Right. What I'm saying, though, is like, I mean... There are movies that are supposed to be these phenomenal best, you know, the best movie that's supposed to be great. And I'm sure every people are going in trying to make the best possible movie they can make. But I'm saying is to think about making something that just can transcend, you know, decades. I, I just don't know if you necessarily. I mean, I mean, I mean, and maybe they are. Maybe I mean, I mean, I'm I'm sure every single time, you know, so, some people go in to make a movie and they it's a paycheck. You know, like De Niro does that. He takes a paycheck in a movie kind of thing. It happens. You know, you just see him. You're like, God, he sucked in that. Why? Oh, he took a paycheck. Right. But then there are some actors who go in and try to make a movie that will transcend and be this great thing. And it just flops. It just doesn't hit. To have a movie that is successful and transcends and lasts as long as some of the movies we're talking about here, I think there just there just has to be that right mix it's 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 like the, it's like the perfect storm of everything that has to occur for it to you know get there. I mean, t- uh, uh, Todd Browning was not making just any movies. He was trying to make the best movies he could make. But you know, th- like the movie Freaks ne- never got the the notoriety or anything that it could have. I mean, it's it got, a great well, film. It got, it got the notoriety, but you're right though. The the situation with Freaks was when Browning made and released the yeah. film. That yeah. the idea of, of of even forget forget about the story, forget about any of that. Actually, filming a film with actual and and I'm not saying this to be insensitive. That's what they were called at the time, sideshow freaks. Yeah. You know, actual geek show, ten and one freak show uh, folks, carny workers was unheard of. I mean, right. Browning was essentially blacklisted from the studio just because, you know, I mean, Browning worked with the circus. He knew he was friends with people like this. It didn't bother him yeah. any. So, you know, but he, you know, that he, he would have his crew, you know, cast and crew go and eat at the commissary to the point that they said, you're not allowed to come into commissary anymore. Right. You know, but that, but I mean, I mean that, that was the, you know, that was the time. That was just the way it was. Right. You know, but, but, you uh, know what I'm saying? It's like that yeah, movie's no, able it, now. It, you it, can look at that now and understand what he was doing. But at the time people are like, what are you doing? Like, it's it's hard to believe. It's, to me, it's like you when 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 King Kong was released or unleashed, really more than anything else, it blew people away. They re-released King Kong because um, my dad, uh, obviously my my grandfather, uh, was he saw King Kong in the theater, and my dad always said when he went, he saw them, and he said he went home and told his great, I oh, saw the greatest movie. I saw them, and my grandfather said that's nothing. King Kong is better. Right, and then my dad had to wait till, till King Kong was on a million dollar movie, and then that started that whole love affair kind of thing. That something could transcend that much, be not only uh, a hit, but be the the like this insanely uh, you know in, in um in, you know movie that just transcended whatever at the time well, it's, was just it's so air, much it's, bigger. It's air quotes up to the mic important. Yeah, right. I mean, we're I'm, what I we're, we're on we're on is it Jaws. I don't think yeah. Spielberg said. I mean, I think Spielberg said to make the best damn movie he could make. Yeah. But you know, look. But it, and and uh, 
Paul, you and Rob Kelly did a fantastic job going into this. So if you guys haven't heard episode, is it episode one or episode two? Episode two. Episode two of Is It Jaws, where they talk about the Jaws series. Please go listen to that. We'll wait patiently till you're done because they, 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 Paul and Rob do a amazing job delving into this. But, you know, take a step back and look at it. What is Jaws? It's a big budget adaption of a best-selling book. Okay, we've had lots of those before Jaws. We've had lots of those after Jaws. But Spielberg set out to make the best damn movie he could make, and he made, you know, an inarguably one of the greatest films of all time. Now, was that was the intention to make one of the greatest films of all time? Was the intention to make a good movie? I think it's kind of a fine line. I think everyone sets out to make a good movie. I don't care if you're Roger Corman or Charles Band or whoever you are, you make out, you set out to make the best movie you can make with the budget and the resources and the actors and the crew that you have. Some men are better at doing that than others. You know, <laughs> I mean, yeah. the Roger Corman school of filmmaking light and get away. So. <laughs> <laughs> Reshoot it. What are you kidding me? We have a day for this. <laughs> Reshoot. What does that word mean? It's not in my vocabulary. Literally, it's like the Irwin Allen school of filmmaking. Let them walk. But, uh, let them walk. Don't. Let them walk. But, uh, but you know, again, the, sorry. The, the, oh. No, but getting in. You know, the other thing that's that's always kind of um, besides the fact that Godzilla started the daikaiju genre, which is still going strong to this day. I mean, some of the uh, you know, in in recent years, we've had big budget American films like Pacific Rim. And Godzilla 2014, even to a certain extent, Jurassic World is a daikaiju film since it deals specifically with a man-created monster rather than dinosaurs. We're getting sequels to all of those. You know, all of those did Pacific Rim less so, but the you know Godzilla and Jurassic World obviously did very good business. We just had we we've had a resurgence, no pun intended, of the genre in Japan and in comics and in other mediums. Um, so you know, Godzilla in in you know, was was responsible for that. But one of the other interesting things is how many folks involved in this film, both in front of and behind the camera, became the mainstays of the genre. I mean, uh, um, you know, Akiko Hirata, who plays Dr. Serizawa, he would appear in King Kong vs. Godzilla, Rodan, Mothra, Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster, Son of Godzilla, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. He appeared numerous times. Akira Taka, Takarada, who plays Ogata, would appear in Godzilla vs. Mothra and Monster Zero. And, you know, uh, Momoko Kochi, who plays Emiko, she would play Emiko again, you know, 40 years later in Godzilla vs. Destoroyah. She plays the same character. So, and, and of course, uh, Ishiro Honda would direct numerous uh, Godzilla and other Daikaiju films. Akira Ufukube is synonymous with his uh, science fiction and giant monster movie scores. Eiji Tsuburaya, of course, and his uh, assistant um, director, um, oh, um, Jun Fukuda, who was his... Uh, no, not Jun Fukuda. Jun Fukuda was Ishiro Honda's um, assistant who had took over. I'm forgetting his first name. His last name is Nakano, who took over the effects from Tsuburaya when Tsuburaya eventually retired. Um, you know, uh, Tomoyuki Tanaka produced every one of these films until he retired. You know, Toho is the largest, and again, this is something people don't necessarily know, it's the largest film studio in Japan. And they produced the big blockbusters. And these were their A crew that did these films. So these were A pictures for a long time. And Godzilla, uh, more so than all the others, was an A picture. And as Jay said, I mean, it, it, it won, it won uh, besides making a lot of money, it, it was, it was uh, very critically acclaimed. Not so much here in the States. Reviews were very negative for the most part, but 
you know, most most science fiction giant monster films in general had kind of a rough go with critics in the U.S., especially like forever. So <laughs> it takes a certain type of uh, film with a giant monster in it for critics in the U.S. to like it, I think. Yeah, I can't argue with that. They they are uh, until recently, I think they the same was you could say the same for superhero movies. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That, that they would automatically think less of it because of that or even just science fiction movies in general. You know, there's, yeah. there's, there's been science fiction movies that probably should have gotten some serious consideration for Best Picture in given years that were just written off as, you know, genre films. Right. So, well, you know, and, that, and, and you know, I think that, monster films are, are one of the, you know, the biggest examples of that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, you know, I mean, uh, and, and Godzilla, even in Godzilla King of the Monsters form, is a film that's about something. You know, I, I said this, if anyone listened to my little Gaiden episode about Shin Godzilla. That film is in the same way. It's about something else besides what's happening. There's a very, you know, clear metaphorical existence for the film. So it's a film that has something to say other than thanks for your $12, you know, like a, a lot of uh, kind of the, the what, what we've got devolved into with some of the, the which is funny, we, which is the, the summer tentpole films, which really Jaws was one of the impetuses for the creation of. And Jaws certainly was a film that was not, hey, thanks for the thanks for your ticket, you know, move along. But it helped create that, you know, that that mentality. And um, you know, so that that to me it was one of the reasons I wanted to talk about Godzilla King of the Monsters on Is It Jaws? Because to me they're very similar films in a lot of ways. You know, they they deal with they deal with the unknown, they deal with nature colliding with man. You know, they and, uh, does and who's in charge? Is nature in charge of man, or is man in charge of nature? And, uh, you know, ultimately, what can we do if nature decides it's had enough of our crap, you know? Yeah. But they, from, from a real-world standpoint, the two films are similar in a lot of ways that they jump-started their respective, uh, you know, a lot of, not, not so much Jaws, not so much a genre, but it did kickstart the idea of the summer blockbuster. You know, would we have gotten all, and, you got, and again, you guys talked about this, do we get Star Wars in the same way if not for Jaws? You know, kind of setting the table for this idea of, oh, this is the movie of the summer. We need to go see. We need to go see Jaws, you know, and going to see it, the film over and over again. So, but, you know, like I said, I mean, and we've been all over the place tonight. But one of the things I, that I, I, I have to iterate is that even if you've never, even if you're not a monster fan, and I know a lot of folks that aren't. I know it's amazing. I do. People are not monster fans. I don't get where these people come from, but they aren't. <laughs> you know, you can put in Godzilla King of the Monsters and enjoy it as a film because it's well made even though yes it's it's been re-edited from the original it's got the inserts of raymond burr it treats its subject matter very seriously it takes itself not seriously but not to the point of being self-parody you know it it, it's a film that exists like you said in a very documentarian style and presents itself and its message in a very clear way that's and it's entertaining that has more depth than you might you might uh, at think at first blush you know we we think oh godzilla is just going to smash the city it's like very few godzilla films are about godzilla this one's not about again air quotes to the mic godzilla this is about other things and godzilla is a character that is a huge role literally and figuratively but um this film has something to say beyond hey check out this monster taken out of city and i think that's one of the main strengths of it i I think that's one of the things i want to yeah. I, I think that, that you, you know, you, you pretty much hit on it totally. That is, I think, the strength of this movie. Because as a kid, when I would watch this, it was, hey, I want to see the giant monster. And that's really my whole reason to watch the movie at all. 
But then when, when you get a little older and you start taking in what's going on, the monster almost becomes secondary to the human pl- you know, the plight in the movie. Mm-hmm. And and what they're going to do, how they're going to deal with it, and and to some extent, even a little bit more of a you know personal rela- interpersonal relationships than I had remembered there being, mm-hmm. you know, with the arranged marriage and you know that breaking up, and then he he's the one who comes up with the uh, you know the method of of getting rid of the monster and his own uh, just fear of that science getting out there and everything. There's, I mean, there's a lot going on here, and mm-hmm. I think a lot more than this movie is generally thought of having by the general public who hasn't sat down and watched it closely. Mm-hmm. Jason, well, other I interrupted you. What You had a point? Yeah. It's good. I just wanted to throw this out there. Luke mentioned that this was their A pictures and stuff. This was the first one shot in... Uh, is it... I've got, got the right thing here. Um, first, the first, it was the first anamorphic widescreen film ever released by Toho. Um, mm-hmm. So that speaks to volumes about them believing in this. Um, obviously... Uh, you know, you look. We talk about this. I'm on bots, bugs, and babes all the time. Where influences come from, and you know, who's um, the documentary? The way this, that this is told, that kind of documentary style. I think we saw a lot of that, um, and, and I think Godzilla helped push that forward as well. Uh, you saw some of that in them. You saw some of that in the Beast of Twenty Thousand Fathoms. Uh, there was there was a number of movies that are uh, you know were well received you know and, and they made a, a good a chunk chunk of money in the early 50s that put put that out there. I'm thinking of like um, uh, the thing from another world and things like that. You know, there's movies that you see where it's done in that style. The way it's that the movie's presented to you is that way. I think Godzilla once uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters landed in America that. Uh, that idea was pushed even like, you know, I Harryhausen movies. I'll go, you know, and Schneer being the producer, you know, the director on those movies are oh, not to be rude, but it's kind of unimportant. It's as long as it's sneered producing and Harryhausen doing the effects, the, the story itself had to tell it that way. So you got there. Godzilla, King of the Monsters, doing that, I think, lends itself more realism to people. Because remember, when this is the 50s still, you went to the theater and you saw newsreels and you saw, you know, like those were regular existence. Like that was part of going to see a movie. It wasn't just, hey, we showed up and watched a movie. You saw a newsreel. You saw some cartoons. You probably saw something else. Like there was stuff that occurred there outside of just you went to the, the actual film itself. And I think that lends a little more realism to it. The, um, the other thing, too, is when you look at uh, – uh, you know, Raymond Burr's parts, he, you know, people might poke fun and whatever kind of thing, you know, the, he, as Luke, Luke hit this too, the effectiveness of the hospital scene as the opener, I think if that had been put, if they had just told the story linearly and that had been where it occurred, you know, near the, you know, the later, the halfway or later part of the movie, I don't think it would have hit you as hard because you're seeing what's happening. You're like, well, how did this happen? Like, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, you might have already known that there's a, a giant monster, but you're like, how does this happen? And I think that's one of the things what it does by giving the audience um, the, the Hitchcock did this where he would kind of give you a little bit like he'd tell you something happens in here, but I can't talk about that now. And then talk about something else. And you're like, no, but what happened in there? Like, you know, when they say like this is the I, you know, there's never been destruction like this. this is something like, OK, what happened? And they're like, let me take you back. What they're you know, doing yeah. is is they're, yeah. they're giving you a piece of what's going to happen without having to expose the monster itself yet. 
Exactly. exactly. If you just wait yep. and wait and wait, eventually you're going to give the monster and you're going to give this. So it's like I'm giving you just a little touch of what's going to happen here, but I don't have to show you my hand. And I think yeah. it's masterfully done. And, that, and, that's, and that's a very American touch. A Japanese film would not do that. So much of Gojira is based on the structure and style of a no play, uh, even more so than, than a kabuki play. It's based on no theater with the, the, the method of the, 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 the introduction of the characters, the introduction of the relationships, the conflict, the rising action, and then the, the, the very kind of energetic uh, disposition of the conflict at the, at the end of the film. It's very much like a no play, whereas you would very rare for a Japanese film to start in media res. And it was a more common Western storytelling tool. And like I said, it's done wonderfully because it does a good job of showing us this, this man that's essentially clinging to life. And then we snap back and now we see him on the plane. We have more, we, the audience, have more information than him, the character. We know what his fate is. We know at some point he's going to be buried in the wreckage of a building and clinging to life in a hospital. But he doesn't know that. You know, it's it's the sort of Damocles dangling over him. When is that going to happen? You know, and then once Godzilla's introduced, it's like, okay, well, obviously Godzilla's going to do something, but what what's going to happen that's going to create this? And you know, the the effectiveness of the you know the Godzilla scenes in this just amplified by Akira Ufukube's score, which is legendary. I mean, that is still the Godzilla theme is. You know, even even if people don't know it's Godzilla, they know it's some big monster. You know, it, it kind of screams mm -hmm. big monster wading through a city. Uh, Shin Godzilla actually uses the actual recording from this film in its soundtrack, not a re-recording, the actual 1954 orchestration. Uh, that That's how kind of iconic that sound is. But if a Kube score, but even the the non-monster uh, scenes of this, the the march scene when they're loading up, uh, when they're when they're um dropping the depth charges and they're, they're bombing for them, you know, which is kind of the prototypical Ifakube march. Dun, 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 You know, these kind of themes that he would revisit most famously with the Monster Zero march in 1965. But even one of my favorite ones is the little piece of music on, um, on Odo Island when uh, Steve sees the ritual to Gojira, you know, it's like Godzilla, you know, the, the ancient god of, the, of, uh, of Odo Island. And we hear just the, the little piece of uh, what is essentially, um, you know, uh, Pacific Islander native music. And it's just, it, but it's not, uh, you know, it's not, uh, it doesn't draw attention to itself, but it's a very wonderful little piece of music there. And, uh, and of course, the, the one that a lot of people are struck by is the choral orchestration when there is the national prayer for the victims of Tokyo. And it's the very kind of quiet, and that's that was in the original Japanese. That's played over the credits. Uh, they don't they don't do that in the American version. Uh, in fact, mo in most cuts of the American version, the credits are removed altogether. Uh, it originally did have a single sheet of credits that uh, fell by the wayside after its original theatrical release. But in any event, that that piece of music is just beautiful. It's just very haunting, and again, it, it brings into sharp focus what we've been talking about: the idea of again, very rarely shown in Daikaiju film, the, the results, you know, the, the human wreckage, the suffering that is inevitable if you were to take the subject matter and really think about it, but is with ex extremely rare exceptions, never shown or talked about, either in an American or Japanese film. And to put it front and center, to me, was always one of the things that made Godzilla King of the Monsters stand out from 
um, you know, even even like the Harryhausen films or, you know, some of the other like, you know, the the, the universal giant bug pictures like uh, Tarantula or the Deadly Mantis. You know, we didn't see the results of people suffering. You know, in them, we see it on a very personal level. You know, we see the girl in shock. You know, we, we know about the uh, you know that the um, we hear about the, the dad getting killed and the two boys in, in peril. But it's 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 a little bit different from that versus seeing everyone, you know, uh, uh, either dying of uh, trauma or dying of radiation sickness in the, the makeshift hospital, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, the, 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 the children cry. And I know Luke mentioned this already, the mother saying, you know, what the, what, what she says to him in Japanese. And obviously it's not, uh, they don't port that. That's not like they translate that over for the American, but those kind of scenes right there, those that don't, I mean, they're not, they're not heavy effect scenes. They're not what do you call it? It's just it's it's the it's that that human thing that you just can't get. Uh, or, or actually, you can't get. You just don't get in a lot of the movies that you know kind of look overlooked. Um, I mean, again, not to keep going back to them, but I mean, the little girl walking in the desert is heartbreaking. Like when when but when what happens when she's laying in the back of thing and she hears that sound that Luke and I know oh so well because it's every single day for the summer <laughs> that exact same sound. And she sits up and the, the look of terror on her face that that little girl is able to emote that kind of emotion out there. Right. And it does. It's, it's not much. It's not much. It's a couple of seconds of film, but it works. Those children with the mother sitting there, you're just you, you feel heartbroken. That's why I, I said before, my daughter loves Godzilla movies, but Godzilla, King of the Monsters, is not one of her favorites because it's she doesn't like it's there's not like she's like. It's because it's just because it's just down and it's like mm -hmm. it's it's a story of of, you know, a people who have lost everything trying to come back. And now here's this creature, this force of nature that's going to take it all away again. And it's just uh, um, I, I mean, I think we've been we've been hit it the whole time here tonight, guys, about it. it's just this is different kind of a different kind of film. This is not. This is again. This is not like the giant bug movies that they made as quick as possible in the in the um, in the 50s and early 60s. You know, for like AIP and things like that. It's definitely not the same as the Godzilla movies you would get later. Godzilla vs. Smog Monster, Son of Godzilla, things like that. Nothing against any of those movies, but this is different. And I mm -hmm. think to to be influential and to start something, you have to be different. Because mm -hmm. if you're the same, I mean. We talk about this. Jaws, you know, is a very, very important movie. But how many Jaws ripoffs were there? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you could do an entire podcast just on Jaws ripoffs because See, Jaws are so important. You know, Paul. That's, that's, you, that's a good. <laughs> you know, Paul. When, I will say this, and my brother kind of backdoored into this. When you said the name of your show was "Is It Jaws," I thought you were going to be looking at only Jaws ripoffs because that's <laughs> like, that that's years of material like hey oh, you know dude. i would i would rate you know uh you know the the last shark as 1.5 out of jaws you know <laughs> well you, you you know where the title comes from don't you yeah it comes from yes. the godzilla yeah. 2014 show yes. where you and i had that argument about is it jaws it's like well nothing is jaws you know <laughs> yeah but i'm saying is but like when luke said that to me he goes did you see hear the new name of the show i go yeah he goes wouldn't it be cool if it was all just Godzilla or Godzilla, uh, all just um, Jaws ripoffs? And I'm like, oh my god, dude! There's at least I can. I, I just start reeling them off. We went like 20 movies in it, like in like less than a minute. Like it just happens. Yeah. Well, you know what? Like ne next time I have you two on, it's going to be to do 
the first Jaws ripoff that comes to mind when I th- think of that is, which was Grizzly. Yes. So maybe we'll do oh, that wait, one yeah, day. We, well, because that wasn't the first one I thought of, but okay, yeah. Sorry. What's the first one you thought of? Piranha. Okay. Well, Piranha is, is... Well, you know what the first one I thought Piranha, of was. On the episode of Bots, Bugs, and Baby Piranha, we talk about that. The yeah. idea being is that Spielberg... Um, saw the movie and said, no, no, don't sue them. I like this. And I was like, because my dad's like, I don't want to be on that one. I'm like, you know who likes it? Steven Spielberg likes it, dad. The first Jaws ripoff I thought of was Orca. Okay. Oh, yes, of course. I mean, you know, I mean, longtime listeners of Two True Freaks know my history with Orca, specifically Orca and Locust Run, which... You know, I won't I won't get into because the lawyers said don't say that on the air anymore. But you know, <laughs> well, you know, yeah. I, I think uh, honestly, I think we could go on and on and on and on. Yes. Yeah. But we're, we've already run that. for a while. So what? What before? Before I ask you the magical question that I think I already know the answer to. Uh, any anything else about the actual final film product that you guys think is important for us to touch on that we haven't done yet? Well, I just have one real funny thing. Not like. But, they um, they were working on the American version, right? And they they hadn't they were kind of not settled on the name yet. I mean, obviously they had Godzilla, but they weren't sure. They were like King of the Monsters. The one that was going to occur, but then King of the Monsters won out was Godzilla the Sea Monster. To me, well, calling so it King of the Monsters, effective. exactly oh, yeah. right. King of the Monsters, like you have no doubt. Now, to me, if you called it Godzilla the Sea Monster, you would have. It, would, it wouldn't have worked as well for it's a title. It's just one, one step and, more threatening than Puff the Magic Dragon. Yeah, well, <laughs> here's the thing. is By calling him King of the Monsters, that's direct like lineage to King Kong. Because let's be mm-hmm. honest, King, this is their King Kong. You yes, know what I'm saying? Yes. So I, I really think that that, like I said, it has to be a perfect <laughs> storm. Everything has to occur. Everything has to line up. Everything has to be at the right time. has to be whatever. And... That little change there allowed King, uh, uh, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, people, because they saw that King, and, and there are people who I guarantee, you, like I know King Kong, because again, there was people like my dad who would have seen this in a movie theater, who had only heard about King Kong and maybe saw it on Million Dollar Movie uh, when it showed or wherever that was called, you know, kind of when they would show it on the, the the repeat all week long, kind of thing. It wasn't, you know, they, they, you couldn't just go watch any movie you wanted to see. You had to hope it was in the theaters or hope it was on TV, you know, as part of the that stuff. So mm-hmm. I know that's not a major, major thing there, but I saw that. I was like, oh, my God, they dodged a bullet. You know, <laughs> yeah. it would be, yeah. be like calling War and Peace, War, War, what's it good for? War, what is it good for? Yeah, it, it, so you the know Seinfeld what? reference. <laughs> gotta have a you know, that was the original reference. title to the book. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, you know, well, you know what's and, and what's funny about the name Godzilla, King of the Monsters. First off, uh, for a monster that has um, acquired many nicknames over the years, King of the Monsters is the one that everybody knows. Everyone says Godzilla, King of the Monsters. They know that, you know. Yeah. When when the when the American film went full circle and was released in Japan in 1957, which happens more often than you might think, where an American distributor will buy a Japanese uh, film, Americanize it, and then eventually it goes back and is released in Japan. Like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers played on Japanese television, which is just, it's like, what? You know, but anyway, it was actually called, it was called Kaiju of Gojira, which translates to Monster King Go- Godzilla. So even then, they, they you know, they, the idea of, uh, of Kaiju of um, uh, Godzilla was, was a, something that they, the Toho was very quick to adopt and keep 
as part of their mythology for Godzilla, even though it came from uh, Levine and Transworld here in the U.S. So, yes, definitely that name stuck. And uh, the, the name King is very important because we got, besides King Kong, we get King Ghidorah, we get King Caesar. The idea of King, and usually um, untranslated, you know, uh, it's Kingu Ghidorah is how you say it. You don't say, you know, Ghidorah-o, you know, or something. You don't say it in Japanese. King is not translated. King Kong's name in Japanese is Kingu Kongu, you know, which is funny when Mr. Taco says it. Kingu Kongu, Kingu Kongu. He just keeps yelling it over and over at one point in King Kong versus Godzilla. But, um, <laughs> dig, dig, Kingu Kongu. <laughs> Whenever I speak Japanese, I yell it like that. I can't, you know, I could be ordering dinner and I, what is wrong with you, sir? But, you know, anyway. Sir, this is not a Japanese restaurant. So. <laughs> Like, look, this really goes beyond my training as a furniture salesman. If you're not going to buy the couch, I am going to have to ask you to leave. There's more of that stuff. Then. For, for a film, again, that was not well-reviewed when it came out, it has yeah. been I think, very positively reevaluated in the wake of Godzilla's... I mean, Godzilla is so popular in the U.S. that, I mean, Toho licenses stuff specifically to sell merchandise in the U.S., after Japan, God, United States is Godzilla's second biggest market. He's incredibly popular over here with people of all ages. But this film has been very successful, I think, reevaluated. And you guys know me, I'm not a big fan of Rotten Tomatoes. I, I think people rely on it way too much. But it does hold an 83% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes from the current evaluation of specifically Godzilla King of the Monsters and not, not Gojira, which actually holds an even higher rating. So I think people have started to come back around and recognizing that, yes, this is not the same film as Gojira, but you know what? It's a pretty darn good film on its own, too. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and that's where we get to the magical question. Is it Jaws? And let me give the Jaws scale for anybody who doesn't know it at this point, which, again, is not necessarily my reviews of the Jaws movies, but it is the scale we use to rate movies here. Jaws would be an all-time classic, nearly flawless, great movie. Jaws 2... Solid movie, very good, very entertaining, but not quite to the level of great. Jaws 3, watchable, but nothing special. And Jaws 4, a piece of crap. Who wants to go first? I'll go. You. It's okay. Yeah. So, uh, I, clearly, Jaws, uh, uh, Jaws 1. It, this, this falls, and this is... Godzilla, King of the Monsters is one of the all-time classics. It's one of the, um, you know... you. you you have to be that level if you're going to accomplish what it's done. Um, I think anything, um, you know, and any anything that you know, the giant monsters, kaiju, dai kaiju, all that stuff. You know, you can trace that all back to, uh, you know, in, depending on you know where we're talking about to this movie. And you know, I think you got to be if if you're, if you're going to be an all-time classic. Then you gotta come out swinging. This movie does. This movie has everything in it. It's uh, it's great, and I think it's gonna be. And as Luke said, it's you know it's been uh, reevaluated and appreciated more. I think as people, um, you know, let's say you know maybe there's people who've never seen it. You know now you know Shin Godzilla's coming out. They're like Godzilla, and they go and you know search this movie out because this is the one you're gonna be able to find more easily necessarily than Gojira. But you, you start, you know, maybe there'll be new people, new eyes on it, and it just keeps growing and growing. And the legend of Godzilla, you know, being the king of monsters keeps going. So, mm -hmm. um, Yeah, it's Jaws. I mean, I, 
and, and even with all my understood and recognized biases, this film is, is a Jaws on the, the is a Jaws scale because it's even discounting everything that came because of this film. Looking at just the time that this film has on screen as it unspools itself, this is a great movie. It's, it's a story about human perseverance in the face of unimaginable terror. It's a, it's a story about, you know, uh, the, that, that science can be our savior and our destructor. It's a story about that we can't forget about the old ways because sometimes the old ways will come and remind us that we need to remi- remember them. It's a story about a lot of things, and it's also the story of, of a, a great monster. I used to love watching this movie as a kid because, you know, if, um, if, if, if I was in a situation where I was unhappy or if I was, you know, upset or mad or depressed, I could put this on and pretend to be Godzilla and know that, I'm, that I could be like him and nobody could touch me. And it would take some miracle scientific device to even slow me down, you know. And, and as I got older, obviously, I moved away from kind of childhood fantasies like that. But the idea of this film and everything it stood for always stuck with me. It's just a well-made, beautifully shot, beautifully put together movie. And even in this form with Raymond Burr, I think it adds something, a new and unique dimension, having, you know, uh, one of my favorites of this uh, era from, uh, from film and TV in the, in the movie, giving us a very serious narration and letting us know just how serious things are. I... I can't. I can never get enough of this film. It's an all-time classic, as far as I'm concerned. All right. So I'm going to make it unanimous, and I'm going to say it's Jaws as well. Uh, even discounting the cultural impact, because that is the aftermath of the movie. That isn't the movie itself. So if we don't even take that into account, I think it's a very, very well-fashioned movie. And when you consider how it's put together, taking an existing movie and then splicing in pieces and and making fairly generous cuts of things that were in the original movie that are now out of it. Uh, It still is a movie that makes sense. It's still a movie that inspires the uh, feeling of terror that, that these people felt. It's not a monster movie where you sit there and you feel scared yourself, but you understand the fear of the people on the screen and you can relate to it. Uh, it's just very, very well made. And I think, you know, I, I'll, I'll put a little asterisk on it that, you know, for people who can't handle older movies, black and white, lesser special effects, then maybe this isn't the movie for you. But other than that, if you can appreciate the quality of this movie and you can sit down and watch it, absolutely. It's, it's an all-time classic. It's a great movie. Mm. Well said. And uh, thank you again, guys, for coming on again. I appreciate you, you giving me the time, and it's always fun talking to you. Uh, you want to uh, give everybody a quick rundown of where they can find you before we call it a day? Oh yeah, gotta gotta get the uh, the cheap plugs in. That's that's ultimately why we do this, isn't it? Um, so, uh, in, in theory, it, it, it's a factor. Well, you know, it's it's like it's like a theory that I read several years ago in a um, a trade magazine that said, you know, we we all talk about TV shows like they're important. But ultimately, what are TV shows? But times to but what the networks air to fill time between the commercials. Yes, so, exactly. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. For those um, who want to hear more of my voice, uh, you can check out my Daikaiju podcast, which is Earth Destruction Directive, which is also available on the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I am also one of the co-hosts on the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, 
which is a horror film podcast. And that is also available at uh, twotruefreaks.com. Uh, my brother is also one of the contributors on the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror. So if you can't get enough of them Jack and Eddie boys, you know, reach for the sky, boy. You can go check us out on uh, the Vault of, of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, where right now we are getting started on the Hammer uh, series of films that we're going to be taking a look at. You know, uh, classic British, uh, you know, gothic, stately Hammer horror, as well as the much-requested, much-beloved Nightmare on Elm Street series that we are taking a look at right now. And if you want to hear more of me and uh, our dad on most of the time, well, he's there most <laughs> of the time. Dad's not always on. Dad's not technically. He's always a guest because I well, said, you well, know, you're like, the co-host. And he's like, no, yeah, I'm the guest. What, and I'm like. <laughs> guest. Well, that was funny, you know, because I was listening to the very excellent episode of Long Play that Paul did with Bob Fisher on the Beatles' Abbey Road. And Bob made the point that he's that he's the oldest regular contributor. And I said, I don't know. You know, Dad does a few more shows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, because think about it. I mean, tag. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, this is that uh, is that you know, tech, I mean, Dad's like, well, it's your show. I just kind of guessed with you, and I'm like, you, but you've only missed two, and that was the first one where I had to figure out how to do it, and then it was Piranha when you said, I'm not watching that movie again. <laughs> So, and then he's, you know, so anyway, so what we're talking about is on the Two True Freaks Network, uh, Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-movie podcast, where you can hear Dad and I try to escape 1957, because we've been there a lot, um, and 1957's come up again because we're doing the giant claw. Um, I actually thought, like, I should lay out all the 1957 movies and just, just start hammering them out and finish every movie from that year, and then we could move on. And then, you know, six years from now, when we actually aren't in 1957 anymore. Anyway. Um, but yes, I'm also on the vault with my brother and the Chris's, um, and, uh, it's Honeywell and, uh, Chris Tyler, the hair metal hero. Um, and then you can hear me guesting every now and then on, uh, you know, other things, round table discussions, uh, things that I probably have no business being on, like about superheroes and stuff. Cause I don't know any of that stuff. No, I'm playing anyway. So, um, but the big thing is this, if you want to purchase Godzilla on Blu-ray or DVD, um, you definitely want to go to twotruefreaks.com. Click on that Amazon link uh, because as much as shameless plugs are good, you clicking on that link takes you directly to Amazon. And if you anything you purchase in that next session, we get a little bit of a kickback, and it doesn't cost you anything. And that helps keep the lights on here because let's face it, folks, everything you know that we're talking about here, uh, if, you're, if you've ever seen Godzilla, it's worth going and checking out. Go, go through that link, help us out. Uh, keep providing you with this great entertainment that, you know, doesn't cost you anything. So, Paul. <laughs> Thank, thanks again. Thanks for the plug for the network. And uh, thanks for coming on, guys. Uh, I definitely highly recommend all the shows that you just heard about. Uh, if you like this show or if you have any comments, anything you'd like to talk about as far as movies we've reviewed, movies that you'd like us to review, uh, you can write to me at jawspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I also love iTunes reviews if I can get them. In the meanwhile, we'll see yeah. you next time. Up from the depths, 30 stories high.